Hey there, ladies. Welcome to our Unveiled podcast. Our name, Unveiled, comes from our desire to glorify God and our love for women. It is inspired from 2 Corinthians 3.18 that says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. You see, we love women, we love the Lord, and we desire to see women growing in their relationship with the Lord, coming to know the Lord, and experiencing that life transformation that can only come from Him. We're starting up fresh in 2021 because we have a heart for women. Our goal is to help women truly live throughout this pandemic, but also beyond. Being fully alive, regardless of our circumstances, can only happen with Jesus. He is our life and our salvation. On this podcast, we are going to talk about everyday events that women experience. Everything we discuss will be through the lens of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to acknowledge that during this particular time, the virus and consequent uh, restrictions affect almost all of our daily life. And so we will certainly consider that as we deem necessary, but our goal is not just to talk about that. There are many great videos and teachings on the internet that we can access and gain information on, and I would encourage all of us to be doing that. We want to be educating ourselves. We want to be informed because it's through having an informed mind that we can make the best decisions possible. But I'm going to leave those particular uh, teachings and videos to other people. I believe that our lives are more than this, and therefore this podcast is going to open up conversations that go beyond what we're currently facing without ignoring it either, because it does, like I said, affect most of the decisions that we make in our daily lives. And so for this first podcast, I had actually planned to have a guest with me, but due to uncontrollable circumstances, I was not able to have her with me. I waited several days, but it didn't work out. And so that's okay. I I sought the Lord and I uh, started thinking maybe I should just start by giving my personal testimony to you instead. And some of you may have already heard me share much of what God has done in my life But others don't really know. And what I've discovered is that sometimes people look at people like myself and they think I've just always had this perfect life and my life is still perfect. They see me as a pastor's wife. They see me as a counselor or a mentor or a woman's life director and just think that God has just handed me this this life free of problems and that life is always pleasant and trouble free, no suffering. And that's just not true. And uh, that can make it challenging for, I think, not just myself, but other leaders trying to know how to be real and authentic without giving too much information or without being seen from uh, an unrealistic perspective. But the reality is leaders, too, have God stories. And in fact, that's what helps us to be better leaders, to better understand the people that we're talking to and relate to them. Because we, we've gone through a lot, too, and it's many of our difficult situations that have drawn us closer to the Lord, that have helped us to know him more and continue to to walk on stable, steady ground, faithful and persistent in our walk with the Lord. Certainly not perfect and none of us are perfect. And so we continue to, to hand our daily lives to the Lord. But I just wanted to share a little bit about what God has done in my life, how I grew up and where and how God has brought me to the point that I'm at right now. You see, uh, my story is not so much about me as it is about the God 
who loves me, who chose to save my life out of sin and separation from him. And that's why I do what I do. That's why I have a passion to reach more women. And I I regularly pray that God would expand my reach. I, I fully believe that if the Lord can save me and transform me, he can do that for anyone. No one is beyond his reach. I grew up two hours east of Windsor, Ontario, in a small town, or outside of a small town, actually, of Elmer, Ontario. My parents were new to Canada. They did not have a lot of money, but they did take me to church and read Bible stories to me on a regular basis. I did spend a lot of my time with my cousins and friends, and I received the blessing of having some solid foundations from the time that I was young. In fact, much of my childhood was very good, but my life was not exempt from trials. In the midst of many good experiences, I felt this overarching shadow of fear and shame. My my childhood really was dominated by this fear, and I can't blame a specific traumatic experience to that. I was largely just displaying my own sinfulness through fear. And I also know, though, that shame and fear are dominant in my culture, Some of um, what I was expressing was certainly inherited or learned from my family. But I know that that doesn't leave me without an excuse. I grew up in a Mennonite home, and I was ashamed of who I was. I always felt different or less than. I I had so much fear in my life, and, and some of this doesn't even make sense to this day. But I was afraid of flushing toilets when I was about three years old. I was afraid of my grandfather, not because he ever mistreated me, but maybe it was because he was large. I really don't know, but I was afraid of him. I was afraid of hell, and I was petrified of snakes. As a child, I didn't know how to talk about my fears, and so they just bottled up inside of me. One of the ways that I would express my fear was in my reaction to snakes. You see, my parents had grown up in Mexico, and they did have poisonous snakes that they would be exposed to at times. And so my parents didn't like snakes either. And their response was to kill snakes. And uh, because I discovered that it was okay to be afraid of snakes, not to like them, it's as if I felt that seeing a snake gave me the opportunity to express all of my fears. And so that's exactly what I did. When I saw a snake, even just a little garter snake, I would absolutely overreact. I would run, I would scream, I would do whatever. And uh, it's as if all at that moment, all my fears would be expressed and then I'd be okay for a while. When I was about nine or 10, our, our church had a week of revival meetings and an evangelist came to our church and would preach every night. And at the end, he would give an altar call. An altar call is that gospel message telling us about Jesus, that we need to put our faith in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. And if we do, then we have um, the opportunity to have a relationship with the Lord. And so I had grown up in church, like I already said. I knew Jesus died for my sins. But at that moment, I, I had this fear this uncertainty. Was I really saved? And so um, I didn't go up the first night. I didn't respond. But the second night, I did respond. And I affirmed that I did believe Jesus Christ died for my sins. At that time, I thought I was just rededicating my life to Christ because I had already asked Jesus into my life. I already believed, you know, in God. I believed that Jesus died. But I think it was at that moment, that was the time that I actually got saved. 
Soon after that, I started reading my Bible, and that was a great spiritual habit for me to begin as a young person. But I still had a lot of fear in my life, and I did not know what to do with it. And I don't even know how aware I was really uh, of this fear and how abnormal it was because it was very normal for me. After high school, I went to Heritage Bible College, which was in London at the time. Uh, My youth group boyfriend had recently broken up with me, and I was ready to train to be a Christian school teacher. I wanted to go to the mission field and be single for the rest of my life. I had a bit of a rough transition, though, going to Bible college because this was really the first time I was consistently in an environment without other Mennonite people. I, I didn't realize how comfortable and safe I felt with people from my own culture. And so I had a lot of anxiety that first week, or the first couple of weeks, I should say. Um, But during one of my chapels, uh, there was a speaker, and he asked us to go to a quiet place by ourselves and spend some time with the Lord. And I don't recall if we were asked to read Psalm 139 or if that's just what I happened to land on, but it certainly wasn't random. It was ordained by God. The words of Psalm 139, verses 23 to 24, popped right out at me, and they speared right into my soul. And this is what they said. They said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Well, I had been anxious. As I said, I felt so out of place being with people that weren't of the same culture that I was in. And I just surrendered those anxieties to the Lord at that moment. And it was amazing. He filled me with the joy and a love for him that I had not had before. That's when my relationship with the Lord just really blossomed and flourished. The Bible became my most important possession. And up until that point, I I had not actually been baptized, which is interesting that I actually got into Bible college without being baptized, but I did. But that spring, when my church was having baptisms, I signed up and publicly declared my faith in Jesus Christ. Just before that, I should mention that I did go on a missions trip. So I also went on a missions trip without being baptized. Probably shouldn't have happened, but thankfully the Lord did give me that opportunity. I went to a missions or on a missions trip to Belize. And if any of you know anything about Belize, they have big, bad, poisonous snakes there. But God was so good. He was at work in my life. And I remember at least one snake that I saw, and I didn't freak right out. I didn't go running. I didn't go screaming. The Lord had given me a calm and an ability to face that and to be confident and and calm as I saw this snake. So the Lord was at work beginning to turn my fear into confidence. So during that time as well, my first uh, few months of Bible college, I did meet Aaron, who uh, is now my husband. I got married to him in 1995, and that first year of marriage, I found out that my brother had a melanoma skin cancer, and sadly, that set me on my path to fear once again. I I checked out my own moles. I had some moles removed, and I lived in fear of cancer and death for a good 10 years. I'm ashamed to say it, but that's the truth. It was just before I was about to give birth to my fifth child. So yes, just to let you know, I married Aaron. It's been 26 years now that we've been married, almost 26. It'll be 26 this year in May. I've ha- I have five amazing children, love them all. They all love the Lord. They're living and serving 
the Lord. So I'm so, so thankful for that. My oldest son is married. He has his own wife, and they're also serving the Lord. Uh, Another son of mine is getting married this year, so that's super exciting. God has been so, so good, despite all the things that he, he had to teach me along the way. So if you're a mom with young children, I just encourage you, remain faithful, seek the Lord. Even if you're not, you know, in that place where you feel like you want to be, if your relationship with the Lord isn't all it should be, maybe you've had some traumatic experiences in your past and you're beginning to see how that's displaying itself in your own family life. And as you're raising your own children, don't give up. Don't feel like it's going to ruin your family for the rest of your lives. As long as you seek the Lord and allow him to do the work that he needs to do right now, God is faithful and he will uh, just do in- immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. So anyways, back to this time, it was just a few weeks before I was about to give birth to my fifth child and I was lying in my bed at night, paralyzed by fear. I thought for sure I was going to die. I was very afraid. I don't remember if uh, I thought I was going to die during childbirth or not. I just remember pleading with God to give me more time. I, I wasn't the mother that I wanted to be. I wasn't the the faithful Christian. I wasn't sanctified to the point I wanted to be. I, I wanted more time for the Lord to work in my life. Uh, little did I know uh, that I was about to come face to face with death during during my delivery. But I also want to mention that that night, about two weeks before all of this, the Lord did give me a peace and a calm. He removed my fear of death. And he allowed me to go into my labor and delivery with peace. Uh, You see, my water broke late the evening of January 14th, 2005. There was blood in my amniotic fluid. But even though I had four children, I did not know if that was normal. Just the day before, a friend of mine who was a doula. So here's where, just listen to the details. I just want to give glory to God. There's so many details that surrounded this whole situation that I can only attribute to God and his glory. So just a couple of, maybe a day or two before this, my friend who was a doula, she called me and said her and her husband would like to offer me free uh, services as a doula. I agreed. And of course, I met with her on the night of January 14th. When I got home, my water broke. And of course, I called her right away. And I told her there was blood in my amniotic fluid when my water broke. And She wasn't sure, and so she decided to call one of her mentors, who was also a doula, and this uh, friend of hers suggested that I head over to the hospital just to check things out. Well, no one at the hospital seemed rattled by the blood, but they did suggest that I have a C-section because the baby was side-lying. Inwardly, I have to admit, I was a little relieved because, to be honest, I didn't want to go through childbirth without any pain relief. Well, the surgery, the C-section was supposed to be 45 minutes, but two hours later, the doctor was still working on me. I remember Aaron, my husband, saying, it's really weird, but they keep taking your uterus out and zapping it, like with something like a, a glue gun. Well, at that point, I just wanted it to be done so I could continue on with life. I have four kids at home and a new baby. I need to finish this up and get back to life, right? But uh, that's not exactly what God had planned. The last thing I remember uh, was the anesthesiologist who was a Christian, but he was yelling at the nurses saying, if you don't get me the paperwork, I'm going to see you in court. And um, well, at that point, they put me under. I don't remember anything else except for a little while later. All of a sudden, I started coming to. I started gaining consciousness. 
And somehow I knew that I needed to fight for my life. And so I tried to breathe very calmly. Well, the next thing, I woke up in the intensive care unit with a tracheotomy down my throat. I couldn't talk to people, and they weren't saying much to me either. Um, People were coming in, looking at me. Some of them had tears in their eyes. Uh, But I didn't know what was going on. But I did eventually find out that I had an amniotic fluid embolism. This means that my amniotic fluid was sucked into my bloodstream, causing me to almost bleed to death. Uh, This situation often leads to cardiac arrest, and women usually do die, or often do die from this situation. Very, very severe, very, very, very um, dangerous situation that the Lord protected me from. And little did I know that the doula that I mentioned earlier, she's an important part of this story because... Uh, She was there not to help with my labor pains, but she was there for a very important job in the middle of the night. You see, God had called her there to start praying. Uh, When she realized that something was wrong, she was pacing around in the hallway praying. She ended up calling her friend, the doula that had already known about my situation. And this other doula called her dad at four o'clock in the morning. Her dad at 4 a.m., was already up praying for somebody. But up until this phone call, he didn't know who it was. But it was me. And uh, that just started an incredible prayer chain from there. That was 16 years ago. And in fact, my precious daughter will be celebrating her 16th birthday. Next Friday on January 15th, I never go through this season um, without a few tears, maybe more, and with a continued sense, or rarely, maybe I've gone through one or two seasons without tears, but normally end up crying, and with a sense of awe and gratefulness in my heart to what God has done. You see, the anesthesiologist was a Christian. And um, he felt a prompting from the Lord before the surgery to insert something into my my neck, my throat, just in case something were to happen and they could quickly give me a blood transfusion. And of course, that's what they needed to do. Uh, one of the nurses, or maybe it was a cleaning lady, I can't remember, was also a Christian that I had discovered just before the surgery started. The doctor on call that night was not my personal doctor, but he was the high-risk specialist. And his intern, um, I like to take joy in this anyways, his name was Dr. Victory. And so I just saw God all over this situation. And so you need to remember that up until this point, um, partly because of my sin nature, partly because of my Mennonite background, I had often felt like I wasn't a very loved person. I had questioned Um, God's love for me, people's love for me. But it was through this experience that God showed up and so personally showed his love for me. I had lived in so much fear of people up until that point and uh, often felt unloved, unworthy, less than others. And here, God did all this for me. And just in case I ever doubted, I was back in the ER a few years later with my precious daughter, Abby, who had experienced all this. She was healthy from the beginning, but I can't remember. Something happened uh, that I needed to take her to the ER. 
And they were trying to look her up in their um, computer system because she had been born there. And so her records should be there, but they couldn't find her name. They told me that her uh, social insurance number was there, but it was under a different name. Um, It could seem like a mistake or a glitch, but to me, it was God's way of telling me not to forget all that he had done for me, that he loves me and I belong to him. Uh, You see, her name was under Faith Rock. That's not a coincidence. That was an amazing God story, and he was reminding me of that. Fear is a crazy thing, and it still creeps into my life at times, but I am reminded of this amazing God moment, along with many others. I could share so many stories of what God has done for me. I know that he loves me, and he has saved me. You see, I know that I am a sinner, and I do not deserve forgiveness. I do not deserve a relationship with God or eternity. But God in his grace has sought me out and given me faith to believe that the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed on the cross was enough to pay for my sin. There is nothing else I need to do. It's finished. I haven't always had that assurance. In fact, a lot of my fears came from lack of assurance. But my assurance has grown into confidence or my fear has grown into confidence as I daily live by faith in the Lord Jesus and remember from Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. He has saved me, and I owe him all the glory and praise. And because of this, I want to spend the rest of my days honoring and glorifying him. Every time I speak, counsel, mentor, make plans, I'm reminded of my own sinful inadequacies and physical limitations. I can do nothing without him. I still feel vulnerable or feel fearful or anxious, but I can't help but continue to speak of his good work and try to reach more women with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This past year has been an incredible year, not just for myself, for all of us, but as a fearful person in my past, I'm also naturally a peacemaker. I put up with a lot for the sake of peace. And this can be a good thing. We want to be people of long suffering and forgiveness and grace. But God has also called me to be a person of resolution, to be bold and active for the cause of the gospel. And sometimes, more often than not, this is going to lead us into uncomfortable situations. And I have to, in those moments, choose whether I am going to be a people pleaser or a God pleaser. And for those of you that are listening, you may already know that our church has taken a bold stance for the reopening of our churches. And once again, uh, during the first lockdown in 2020, and also now, our churches are being closed. And this is a sad thing. Uh, You may know that my husband has been charged, uh, sentenced to go to court anywhere. Uh, His charges could range anywhere from $10,000 to $100,000 with a potential of a year in jail, this is not easy. This is not to be taken lightly. This is a bold situation that we have to face. And it'd be easy just to back down, to hunker down in our homes and stay quiet. But that's not what God has called us to. And even though many have opposed us, uh, at times it's been hard, exhausting, and hurtful, we know that God has called us to be resolute. And personally, um, uh, 
I need to take that stance for myself. I can't just uh, hang on to my husband's courage and boldness. I have to choose for myself. Am I going to be a woman that is resolute or am I going to be a woman that that pulls back in fear? I can't do that. And so we earnestly and regularly pray for wisdom and discernment. And as I begin 2021, I don't know what God has in store for me. I, I trust and pray that the Lord will overturn all these charges, that my husband won't be charged, that he won't go to jail. But even if he does, I am resolved to mean re- remain resolute, to stay on mission. In fact, my, my, uh, my purpose this year is to stay faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. And uh, this is a verse that stuck out at me from Acts eleven twenty three. See, steadfast means, and these are things I looked up in the dictionary, steadfast means to be unchanging, dependable, resolutely or dutifully firm and unwavering. I cannot unwaver. I, I have to remain faithful to the Lord. And purpose means to have intention or God's predetermined will. I'm not seeking out my own purposes. I have to remain faithful to God's purposes. And I'm willing to face the battles that God has laid out for me. I will not waver and I will not shrink back. But I will do all this with God's purpose in mind. I will seek to be on mission for him. And when I get tired or exhausted or feel like giving up, I won't. And I remind myself of God's purpose for me. And by his grace, and please take note of that, it's by his grace, I will remain steadfast. I know without a shadow of a doubt, that I can't do this in my own power. I am not strong enough. But with the Lord, I will continue to move forward. And as we are in this battle, we need to acknowledge that being in a battle doesn't mean that we are in opposition to being at rest. In fact, the two work better together. And so next week, I've asked one of our worship leaders to join me on this podcast And together, we're going to discuss what that looks like. How do we reconcile resolute and rest, particularly in our mission for God? I hope you join us next Friday to learn more and to discover with us how we can be women of absolute steadfastness, to be resolute, but also at rest with the Lord. Thank you. 